we're all still alive. <laughs> we're a little damp, but we're okay. Um, as you can imagine, um, speaking from this place is a bit um, overwhelming. The last time I did this, I had a cup of tea and a whole bunch of um, chocolate-covered espresso beans <laughs> beforehand because I was tired. I did that talk in about mm, 20 minutes, and I had a whole page left over, which I forgot because I was determined to get through it. This time is a little different. Um, I feel a little differently about it. It doesn't seem quite so uh, horrific. So um, hopefully uh, I will actually get to the end of it this time. I am probably going to forget to uh, drink water, so please move when you uh, want to. And uh, please feel free to sleep also would be a good time to have a nap. Um, I do want to talk about uh, those who are here for their first time. What courage it takes to come here. This is, uh, this is like the boot camp of Buddhism. This is intense. And the most intense is the very first time. Ada Roshi told me, I was his student for 16 years. I've been coming here for about 22 years. Oh my God, I'm so old. And um, he told me everything will change if you come to your first seven day session here. And it did. He also, uh, Echoing Ryoju, um, I went one morning from ecstasy to despair in like, you know, eight nanoseconds. And he said, are you always this dramatic? And I said, yes, of course. Why do you think I'm here? <laughs> and he used to call himself a drama queen. His English was very good, but he didn't quite get all the um, subtleties of colloquialisms. One thing that he said to me on that first session that I keep thinking about um, and which is so important to me, and that is to go outside. Of course, you know, it's a little, when it's torrentially pouring, maybe not, but my husband has some Norwegian relatives and they say there's no bad weather, only bad clothes. <laughs> so put a slicker on, go out. There's some amazing mushrooms by the, by the lake. Um, I went out there one day on my first session, and it was um, in the spring uh, at Holy Days, and I was not having a, a happy moment. And I laid down on this beautiful moss-covered rock, and the sun was shining, and the moss was warm, and I thought, this rock doesn't wonder about anything. It doesn't wonder whether it's a good rock or it's a good enough rock or it's doing the right rock thing. It just is a And that's good enough. And I came back and I told that to Ada Roshi and he went, mm. So going out there and 
encountering, as he used to say, the nature, is so important. And um, so a monk asked Gensha, Master Gensha, I am new at the monastery. Please tell me how I can enter Zen. And Gensha said, can you hear the stream? And the monk said, yes. And Gensha said, enter from there. During the past summer, we've had tremendous rains and floods. And you could hear the stream from anywhere. You could hear the rushing water from anywhere. So enter from there. Or you can enter from anywhere. There's a poem here. I was in a yoga class and um, at my yoga studio, and one of the teachers there has been up here to um, do yoga and Zen weekend, and uh, she had this book, and she read from it, and I thought, I would do the same. One, seven, three, five. The truth you searched for cannot be grasped. As night advances, a bright moon illuminates the whole ocean. The dragon's jewels are found in every wave. Looking for the moon, it is here, in this wave, in the next. This is Zen Seed's uh, Reflections of a Female Priest by Shunda Ayoyama. So Shinge Roshi suggested when she asked me to speak, she sent me an email um, to just talk about what's been going on with me. So here goes. The first thing I want to talk about is um, about a year and a half ago, our apartment was sort of falling apart. The bathroom uh, was the original bathroom from when the building was built in the 30s. And I thought it was kind of cool when I moved in there, so I didn't renovate it. And uh, the kitchen, all the appliances were falling apart. So it was time to work on that. Um, to work on tearing stuff apart, breaking down things that are no longer serving you. Some things really were not serving us. The bathroom had to be taken down to the studs. And um, just a sidelight, there were ashes in between the boards on the floor. And I said to the contractor, what are these ashes for? Why is there dirt on my bathroom floor? And he said, those are ashes. Before they had all these modern building materials, they put ash in there in case there was a tiny leak, and the ash would absorb the water. So that's what we're doing here. We're breaking stuff down. We're breaking down things that, ways of thinking, ways of being, stories that we tell ourselves, our whole cosmology of uh, preconceived ideas, 
That's what we're doing here. We're breaking things down. So if you've ever done a renovation in an apartment that you're living in, it's really a trip. And um, one of the workmen was there so much, I felt like, you know, he was my child. Um, and so we had planned to spend a lot of time here. We have a house on the property. It's about a mile away from here, sort of between the gatehouse and here. We've been renting it for, I don't know, 16, 17, 18 years. And um, so we thought, we'll spend a lot of time at Sun Moon, which is what it's called. And then what happened was we had a meeting down there about some celebration that we were hosting. I don't remember what it was. And um, Jodo was having trouble getting out of the couch, which is very low. And Bill her helped her out. And there was a tremendous crack. What was that? The timbers were all rotted at Sun Moon. So we did spend some time up there, but we were kind of tiptoeing around. We moved all the furniture to the side of the walls. We didn't use the bathtub. We were afraid it was going to go through the floor. So all of this sort of fall, uh, I met uh, Karen in the Jusharia one day, and I asked him for some, um, during, uh, before session, some uh, gaffer tape, because I needed to tape something together. And he said, what is it with you? With everything you've got is falling apart. And I said, yeah, that's had that falling apart energy. So everything fell apart. But that's what it has to do. It has to fall apart. You have to take it apart. You have to rip it apart. They used to say here that you, you would die on the cushion. And that was a good thing. You wanted to die to your old self and have a second birth. So that's what we're doing here. We're breaking down. Things are being reborn. Right after this happened, my husband, um, he's, you know, spent a lot of time when he was young playing football and basketball and baseball and all kinds of balls. And he blew out both of his knees. And he's been ho was hobbling around for years. No, no, I'm not going to get knee surgery. No, no, I've had all the arthroscopic. And he did everything with the rooster cartilage and all these crazy things. Finally, he had no choice. And he had both knees replaced in February. This is a tremendous, painful, radical operation. He was in the hospital for a week. During that week, I got a call from Jodo while I was in the hospital with him that Ada Roshi had passed away. He had been my teacher for quite a while. 
And he left, as you know, under difficult circumstances. Difficult for everybody. But not this year, but last year at Oban. There was the, the, you know, this Oban, and then the fire, the big bonfire. And um, he came up, and he took my hand, and I took his other hand. And we looked into each other's eyes, and we smiled, and we held on tight. And then we separated. Perfect goodbye. So then he died. Okay. One other person died this year. Well, I'm sure lots of people died, but <laughs> quite a few. But Bill had this, had this aunt who was, um, they called her Pinky. Her name was Jane Pincus. And she was um, a lovely, you know, I have met all kinds of people and um, very nice people, some people, uh, very kind. But I really have not met somebody like this woman. She really was, um, I think, the kindest person I've ever met. She was diagnosed with, um, I guess by the time they... She had had lymphoma, and then she got ahead of it, and then it came back. And uh, she wasn't expected to um, live too long. So we went down there um, to West Virginia, where my husband is from. And uh, she said to me, I am so fortunate that I get this time to say goodbye to everybody that I want to say goodbye to. How lucky am I? She said goodbye to everybody that she wanted to say, and everybody wanted to say goodbye to her. Her daughters were being driven crazy because she didn't have any time to rest. There were so many people coming but she spoke to everyone, and she said goodbye to everyone. And then she went to bed, and four days later, she passed away. She didn't speak another word. She didn't eat. She didn't drink. She was ready. She left. Wonderful, really.
Daishin, uh, one of our Dharma brothers, had uh, a film at the Lincoln Center Film Festival um, two weeks ago, and we went to see that. Guess what it was about? Death. He and his partner went and filmed um, a bunch of people, several very, very old people, and one not-so-old person. And they, all of Daishin's work is really informed by his practice. It doesn't intrude, doesn't put the filmmaker's vision on anything. Although in this movie, he was actually in it and got in bed with one of the old ladies, sort of, just to be with her. And it was wonderful. It was really wonderful. So what's all this about death? Why am I talking about death? Hmm. We're all heading that direction. Some of us are expect to be leaving sooner because we're old. And when you're young, you can kind of pass by that. But when you look in the mirror in the morning, when you're older, you can't pass by that. It's so wonderful to be like Aunt Jane, to end up like Aunt Jane. So grateful for all the wonderful things we have in our life. We forget those things and worry about everything else. But we have such a brief period. We have to really embrace it. And I just want to mention something else. Um, you know, I look forward to doing the, the uh, sit that we had yesterday with the ceremonial green tea because I don't um, indulge in caffeine anymore. So it's really fun, you know. <laughs> I, um, you know, suck that up and I'm flying on my cushion, the magic carpet. And there we were yesterday Maybe you two were all flying along. And all of a sudden, it's like there is some huge mechanical monster chewing on garbage cans. You know, it was like some anime, like child's anime, like monster noise. 
And that is going to happen. That is just going to happen. Um, I thought it was really a riot. <laughs> and, um, you know, we talk about this all the time. Uh, in Zen, we talk about how the koans are not about some ancient Chinese guy from the fifth century. They're about what we're doing right here, right now. Um, and that particular moment reflected this koan I just ran into, so I thought I would um, read it for you. And this is very, um, speaking of ancient Chinese, this is very flowery. It's very, you know, glittering this and that, which is great. But a monk said to Ho Osho of Kyoyo, a dragon king leaves the ocean and heaven and earth are calm. Meet him face to face and then what? The master replied, the Garuda attains the universe, the Garuda bird. At such time, who would dare to stick his head out? The monk countered, when the head sticks out, then what? Kyoyo answered, it's like a falcon seizing a dove. If you don't understand it, check in front of the balcony and know the truth. The monk then said, well then, I clasp my hands on my chest and retreat three steps. And Kyoyo remarked, blind turtle, pinned under Sumeru. Don't get hit on him on the forehead and scarred again. This Garuda is this an immense bird. And nothing can stand against it. Not even the dragon king. That's you, the dragon king sitting there with you after your green tea, on your cushion, calm, beautiful, serene, untouchable. Bang! Here comes the Garuda. None of the mythical beasts can stand against him or her. That's the way it is. That's the way our life is. Everything's cool. Everything's calm. The floor falls in. The renovation on, at home is done, and the ceiling, my neighbor upstairs, has a broken faucet, and water comes down the ceiling and drips into my perfectly renovated kitchen. The Garuda bird. Hi. So what do you do? You can't step out of the way. You can't do a, you know, like finesse it. <laughs> it's just like, hey, Garuda, what's up? That's it. Death, illness, Kavanaugh. <laughs> Hi, Garuda. How are you? <sighs> then the next thing I want to talk about, the next thing that we did was we went to Peru. This was a yoga trip. 
on the night that my husband and I wanted to uh, go early um, to, you know, have a bit of touristing before the yoga retreat began, visit around, get acclimated to the height. Cusco is two miles up from sea level. So the night we were supposed to leave, um, I was at a yoga class because we were going to do, you know, and we found the right, the best flights and the hotel and the this and the that and the other thing. And uh, Bill was uh, going to check us in online and he realized that my passport had expired. Also, I had been taking, I had, I was afraid of being altitude sick, which has happened to me before, and um, I ran to my doctor and got some modern medicine, which reduced my immune system, and I got a bad cold. So we got that all straightened out. I got a new passport. We, we took us 24 hours to get there, and... Um, I had a bad cold. And we got there, and it's... You get off the plane in Cusco, and there's a, a bowl of um, coca leaves in the airport. And they tell you to take three, only three of them, because there is a significance to three. One is for Panchamama, one is for... Uh, let me get this right. Uh, Pachbhava and Apu, the mother principle, the father principle, and the mountain. And this is in the airport. These people are truly uh, with their culture and their practices. So our baggage, of course, didn't get, that, get there. And um, the lady says, oh, are you in Cusco or in the Sacred Valley? That's where we were going. It's like the Hudson Valley, but it's the Sacred Valley. That's what its name is, the Sacred Valley. So that's where we went, to the Sacred Valley. A thing I didn't know about this yoga group, this yoga trip, I mean, I knew one of the teachers uh, is one of the teachers that uh, holds yoga and Zen here with us, uh, and she's a wonderful um, teacher and very close with her, and she and this other guy are leading this retreat. This other guy um, I not met before. He apparently teaches kundalini yoga. I don't know if any of you have ever done this kind of yoga. I see some heads nodding. Well, I had not. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm in their house, so I'm going to do their thing, you know, whatever it is. So, um, it was interesting. I was told three quarters of the way in that the purpose of this um, trip, of this particular yoga retreat, was to break down, again, break everything down to 
to uh, some kind of psychotherapy, like breakthrough thingamajig. And, you know, I had already done a lot of that here. <laughs> I had done a lot of that here. When I was a little tiny girl, um, I was two. My mother was diagnosed with a brain tumor, and uh, it was in the 50s. And um, she was operated on, and she uh, lived. She was partially paralyzed when I was young. It pretty much grew back. The nerves on the side where they cut her uh, sight in one eye and her earring was still not happening, but, you know. My father had come home from the war where he had been wounded, um, and he had um, a heart problem, which the wound didn't help. And right after my mother came back from the hospital, he had a massive heart attack and died uh, the day before my third birthday. My family could not handle this, and they decided that the best... I had an older sister, and she knew what the score was, but they told me he was on a business trip. So I figured this out, like, I guess I was about seven or something, that he was dead, and he was not coming home from this business trip. But I had... Um, I mean, that was the beginning. <laughs> And then I went on from there um, to live a, um, a rather uh, uh, reckless, I guess, life, um, which is a story for another uh, meeting. Um, so I had a lot of baggage. I had a full suite of baggage. But I really had no, of this really deep stuff, um, I really had no way of accessing until I came here. I just could not. You know, opposed to Ryoju, you know, who got everything he wanted by crying, in my household, it was the opposite. You didn't cry. You didn't express any emotion if you could possibly help it. If you cried, my mother would say, I'll give you something to cry about. So, you know, that's kind of the... the uh, the, the tangent which my life was on, I kept everything so far down that I didn't even know it was there. And I used a lot of uh, chemicals to help that along. And I uh, stopped using the chemicals before I came here, but it was still down there. And... Um, I started to cry here. I could cry here. 
I just cried. <laughs> you saw it. <laughs> and there was a lake of, I mean, it was a big dam backed up there, like that lake in Tahoe, you know, that big. So it took years of crying, years and years and years and years and years, session after session. I was wondering whether to become a nun or not, and um, at first I couldn't because my mother was dying and I needed to be around for that. She had Alzheimer's. And, um, and then I thought about it later, and a, a nun friend of mine said, well, attend every session and see if you like it. And so I attended every session, and I liked it. And I kept attending every session. Um, I realized I didn't, I didn't attend two sessions this year. Roshi and I were talking about this. One, because it was my 70th birthday. And two, because I was so screwed up from that uh, Peru thing that um, <laughs> I came back, I think, three days before session, and I still had altitude sickness. I couldn't breathe. Um, so yeah, the full range of emotions. It's like, you know, when you go to the physical therapist and they work on your full range of motion, I needed work on my full range of emotions. I used to volunteer at a rehab on, um, a drug alcohol rehab. And we would give people, this was kind of before emojis were really big. We'd give people a sheet with all these little faces with different facial expressions because addicts don't really have the full range of emotions and we have to learn, learn them. We have to think about them. We have to learn to feel them. So, um, yeah. And I did that here. I learned to feel all my feelings. Icky. And it took a long time. I also was wired really oddly. I, I used to work at this big ad agency, and uh, one client said to me once, you, you kick the agency in the, in the it's like a, a, a dinosaur. You kick it in the tail, and a week later it says, ow. That's kind of the way I was. I didn't have a direct conduit from what was happening now to what I was feeling. Because the wiring had gotten all snarled up. So that also got um, straightened out. So when I feel, when I talk about something, I can feel it at that moment. Pretty cool. So there we are up in, in Cusco, and I have horrible altitude sickness and doing these repetitive motions with this Kundalini yoga and pouring water on myself. They do this for 20 minutes, literally. And um, I didn't do the, the sweat lodge because I don't do, I didn't, don't do well with heat, especially when I can't breathe. And, uh, but we did do a fire ceremony, and this was for um, Apu, the spirit of the mountain. 
So this shaman came and we had the, um, the fire uh, and we drank some kind of potion. It wasn't um, ayahuasca, but it was like some kind of coca something. And uh, we danced around the fire and shouting, Apu, Apu. And we stopped and I said, oh, we have a shouting practice in my tradition too. <laughs> and she said, really? And I said, yes. Would you like to hear it? <laughs> and she said, yes, the shaman. So Bill and I shouted, wow! <laughs> and then we stopped, and one of the participants said, can we do it? <laughs> and we said, yes. So we shouted, Mao! Dancing around the fire, shouting, Mao! Mao! To the mountain. Then we did another ceremony uh, down on the valley. And the, their mythology is that the mother spirit came from this. When we were there, it was a dried lake bed, but in the rainy season, it's a lake. And joined with the male principle and brought humanity and, I don't know, whatever. A lot of good stuff. And this um, old shaman who is, uh, according to, uh, he's in New York right now. I invited him up, but he's busy, really, literally. He is one of the last, um, he's, they are called the last Incas, and he um, made a blessing ceremony for us in this. We got him all on a bus, and then he, we drove around, and he looked for the right spot to land the bus back and forth across this valley, and then he found the right spot, and he he made this sort of melange of different things and we held on to the coca leaves and he patted us and blessed us. And somebody asked, Bill, what is your home mountain? What is your home mountain? Daibusatsu, he said, is my home mountain. Because this is very important to them. They're in the Andes. The mountain, yeah, what is your mountain? So he's in the city now doing, doing some blessings and trying to raise money because um, their way of life is disappearing. And um, these traditions that are thousands of years old, they're disappearing. Just like our traditions that are a thousand years old that we are keeping alive. So, back to yoga. Um, I was at a yoga class the other day, and um, another teacher who's a little wacky, she's, she's very fun, she's also been up here, she decided that we should each um, describe ourselves in, a, in a, a word using the first letter of our first name. Like tired Tessie or 
Tom, Connie, or whatever it was. So my name is Linda. And then we had to make a hand movement to go with it. This sounds so wacky, but you know, it's fun. So all I could think of was lucky. This is very different from uh, my image of uh, myself uh, pre-Zen. I felt pretty unfortunate then. Um, I looked good on paper. I had a good job. I made money. I had a wonderful daughter. Um, I was sober and clean, but I was not exactly... I didn't feel very fortunate. I had all that baggage I mentioned. When I was young, I, I was looking for the meaning of life and um, what I was supposed to be doing here and why, you know, this was and why that was and why the other was. And I, I didn't actually, I couldn't really find anything to teach me that or any conduit to learn that. So... Instead, I gave up after a while and um, just started surviving. And I was still in that survival mode when I got here. And I was able to um, change. I was able to kill that person and be reborn as a fortunate person, which I am. I was doing a koan with Ada Roshi a thousand years ago, and I don't remember which one it was, but um, he was giving, he said, we're talking about the fact that things balance out. That, And he gave an example of his life. He said, oh, you know, I got this big award, and, and, and then Aiho and I went to Tokyo, and um, I guess to get it, and she had just had her knee replaced, and she fell into a hole and broke it, the brand-new knee. So now give an example from your life. So I went away, and I came back. And I said, well, the first half of my life was absolute hell. And the second half is heaven. Probably about five years after that, the, the troubles happened here. So that changed a little bit. Um, but, you know, it's the Garuda bird, you know, whatever. It still is true that... Um, it's pretty... I'm pretty lucky. I have had two amazing teachers 
the one that sits here without her, we would not be sitting here. Because she kept this place going, this practice going when it looked like it was not going to make it. And I have this amazing place to practice in. That from the moment I got here, I knew I was home. And it's so much, I mean, the condition that this place is in now is so gorgeous. Thanks to two bodhisattvas, the deities of um, fixing and painting, and all the other people that work so hard to, um, so that we can come here and partake. We take because they give. <laughs>